Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast, Mock Draft Roundup, and Super Bowl XLV1 Retrospective. So today, we got a special treat for you because many of the writers from Football Garbage Time got together over the last three or four days and on Twitter, as per usual, did their annual mock draft. This is our third annual mock draft, and I, I don't think I'm uh, exaggerating when I say that we're not your average mock draft. We're going to take some chances, we're going to go on the limb a couple of times, and we're going to get some responses. And I can tell you already from the feedback that we got on Reddit, Ryan is a major target of those people who have comments about our mock draft. And he's all fired up, ready to go with me on the line, Ryan Whitfield, senior staff writer, Ryan, are you fired up? I think you're pretty fired up. Hey, am I am I on? You are on. Oh, okay. Well, I thought I got fired by by a guy on Reddit this morning, so I just wanted to make sure that I was still working here. Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm ready to go. So. All right. Well, so let's get started and get it rolling because we got a lot to talk about. So let's get going with uh, a podcast. So the mock draft happened about a week ago, but it happened over the course of three days. And as per usual, six different writers this year, Ryan, myself, and uh, Bobby Pearson, John Kirkland, Jake Smith, and Joanne Kong all got together and took turns being GMs for all the various teams in the first round. And I can tell you, the results are actually very, very interesting. Now, before we get to the individual picks, because uh, as Ryan said, there's some, some feedback on Reddit today about some of his picks, and he's all ready to go up and, and defend those picks. But let's, let's start from a big-picture perspective. So, Ryan, from a big-picture perspective, was there anything that really struck you as interesting or surprised you from the results of our mock draft? Um, yeah, so there was two picks in particular um, that surprised me. Um, the first was Jake um, taking Jamal Adams for the Jets. Um, the Jets at some point have to start doing something on offense. Um, it was Mike Williams still sitting on the board there. Um, I thought that was a surprise pick. And then uh, Joanne taking O.J. Howard, um, arguably the best player on that. Uh, the best player on that on that offense is Delaney Walker. So um, you know, I've seen I've seen what a two uh, tight end set can do here in New England. Um, several times over the last couple of years. Um, so I, I know that there's definitely a way to balance that out, but I don't know. You need somebody on the outside, and there's still receivers on the board there. So those are the two picks um, that stood out most to me. Um, but, I, but I don't think either, either one needs to be uh, fired or let go from the site over it. <laughs> right. And actually, you, you can tell Joanne was enamored with tight ends because she also took David Dijuko uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs at the 27th pick. And they obviously have Travis Kelce. So, so so clearly she's enamored with the Patriots' two tight end set and all the all the success they've had with that in the past. But uh, honestly, it really wasn't, you know, that he really hasn't been the focus of their offense since the time of uh, Aaron Hernandez and, uh, and Rob Gronkowski. So, you know, it's 
not not as often used as people think. And I actually agree with the uh, with the entire uh, Jake take of New York in the front of New York Jets, Jamal Adams. That was really surprising to me too. But I thought they were going to go on offense and take Mitchell Trubisky or Deshaun Watson. I thought they were going to take a, a, a quarterback there because they are really really hurting at the quarterback position. Now, what do you think about this big run at the beginning though on defensive ends and on defensive players? I believe seven of the top ten picks in our mock draft were actually defensive players. What do you think about that? Um, I, I think it makes sense. I think you've seen over, uh, you know, the last couple years, you know, the NFL is a league of trends, so, um, in cycles. And so last, you know, the, the Patriots of 14 and, and last year, um, obviously the, the 15 Broncos and the 13 Seahawks, I mean, you see that, that defense does still win championships and, more importantly, balance. Um, so a lot of the bottom-end teams, you don't have to just go down and take the best offensive player. And this is honestly, a, you know, a really heavily stacked um, defensive draft. There's a lot of great defensive ends and a lot of great cornerbacks in this draft. So I'm not surprised at all that that defensive players are flying off the board early. Okay. So let's go ahead and turn to the specific picks themselves because I think this is where it gets kind of interesting. And I'm going to leave the, the more, uh, the more uh, explosive comment uh, until later and talk about the the one that's a little bit less of a, a little bit more uh, nuanced, I think. And that's the 11th pick overall for the Saints when you pick Taco Charlton, defensive end. Tell me about that. Tell me about your pick of Taco Charlton. There's been some talk about him being overrated and overhyped. What do you see in him that you like that you think will help the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, um, obviously there was a commenter uh, that, that, that also, you know, kind of took me to task over him being overrated, overhyped. Um, I don't. I, I personally, you know, I don't pay attention to how hyped or, or how uh, publicized the player is. For me, it's what I see on the field. And um, you know, if you, if you think, if you don't think he's good, that's fine. Uh, you know, pretty much unanimous, unanimously, whether it's Walter Payton Football dot com or the NFL, uh, you know, draft combine page. I mean, pretty unanimously, he's the, he's the number two defensive end um, coming out of this draft. Um, but he's six six. He spent some time at, at linebacker. He's played defensive tackle and defensive end, so he's been inside. He's outside. He can play. He can play back. He's you know he's, he's you know, like I said six six and uh, two sixty or two seventy I believe. So he's big. He's physical and he's versatile. Um, you know I come from watching a team that that really values versatility uh, above all else, um, and I think that having that in the NFL um, and being able to move around is, is is hugely important, especially considering that defense sucks. So you need somebody who can move around and do multiple things. You know, I think I think having a guy that can come in and can, you know, depending on the player, depending on the look, can can jump in or jump out um, is huge for you because you can't you can't fix that defense or build that defense in one off season. Um, so having a guy who's versatile like that, um, I think would be would be you know uh, monumental for the Saints with that 11th pick. Yeah, I noticed that you really, really focus on defense. So you took to heart exactly what the Saints organization said, which is that their, it was their aim to fix the defense, which is part of the reason why they traded away Brandon Cooks and tried to get additional draft picks and so on and so forth. Uh, and, of course, the, the, exactly why they're trying to get a hold of, uh, of Butler, uh, Malcolm Butler from New England. But I saw that with the 32nd pick for the New Orleans Saints, you took a Dory Jackson. So tell us about that. You know, you – you, like you said, you don't like shorter corners, but for some reason you'd like uh, Jackson at 5'10". Yeah, well, I don't, I don't love Adoree Jackson, but, you know, a lot of the bigger, more physical guys were kind of off the board, you know, and that's one of the things, too, that I think when you look at these mock drafts people will tend to do is they'll, um, they'll, they'll siphon out their individual team 
and go, oh, why'd you pick this guy? Like, well, of course I'd rather have, if, if I'm the Saints, I'd rather have Kevin King or, um, you know, uh, some of the other corners we took earlier in the draft. I'm drawing blanks on the names right now. But, um, you know, Dory Jackson was the best of the guys left of that position, and I think that they have to go double defense. And I said in the pick, that's contingent on that they don't get Malcolm Butler. If they get Malcolm Butler, then I'm going linebacker there. But, you know, as of right now, as it stands, they don't have Malcolm Butler. They need to, they need to pair somebody up with Devin Brohl. And, and the point I made was that Devin Brohl does bring size and physicality. So you can, you can, you can bring in a, a smaller guy to be your second corner like a Dory Jackson, and you can spot him against, you know, most teams, you know, there are very few teams that have, uh, you know, two big physical receivers. You know, your Bears had it a couple right. of years ago. Um, yep. But but not most teams have you know a small shifty guy and then they have the big physical guy. So you put Brol on the big shifty guy and you put you put uh, Dory Jackson on the smaller guy and he's a playmaker. Um, and then he brings again the versatility. I think the Saints need guys who can do multiple things right now. Um, and this is a guy who who has return experience in his career um, and can make big plays in the return game. And I think that could be you know something where you know, again now you you have two picks. But really, you're filling kind of almost, you know, three and a half to four needs with the two guys um, coming in here in the first round. Right. Okay. So let's turn. And I don't disagree, by the way, of anything you've done there, because quite frankly, the Saints really do need to shore up their defense. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do on offense, though, because at some point, uh, Drew Brees is going to retire, and that's going to be the end of that. Uh, and they need a plan for that, and they don't really have a plan for that. But they do need to focus on defense. They've been traditionally very, very bad, and they said they were going to focus on it. And these two picks. Definitely will go to defense, whether it be cornerback or the or the linebacker or that 30-second spot. Again, I think you're right. Depends on whether Malcolm Butler is acquired or not. All right, so let's turn to the more controversial pick here. And I knew, and we all knew, and anybody listening to the show knows that Ryan likes Dalvin Cook. But here's the comment we got on Reddit earlier today. Uh, quote, I think you need to look for a new staff writer. We drafted three running backs last year, and our overall depth chart is crowded as is. Lucy, Rawls, Prosite, Collins, Pope. Running back is a relatively small need at this point. Okay, so you picked Alvin Cook for the Seattle Seahawks at number 26 overall. Go ahead and defend yourself, Ryan. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't know why I have to defend myself to, to a man-child who says we when referring to the football team he follows. Um, last time I checked, he, he, he's not uh, he's not on the staff. Um, yeah. But it's unclear. maybe he is. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's sitting at home wearing his his twelfth uh, man jersey and his uh, his footy pajamas. But anyways, um, you know, if, if you go back and look at the pick, I could not have sat on the fence and couched this pick any more than I did. Again, like I said um, in the last uh, the last part here, that you know. These picks are these picks are based on what other people did. The, the biggest right. need for the Seahawks is the offensive line. I'll never argue that. But all the guys left at the third by the time I picked at that at that spot at the 26 or 24 spot, whatever it was. Um, yeah, all the guys yeah. were projected to go in the first to second or second to third round. There was no true first round pick left there. And so my point was. The guys that they that they need to target are still going to be there in the second round when they're picking again. So, so you you write them off the board. And then I said I would take a corner to replace Richard Sherman if you trade him. But they haven't traded him yet. So, with, with the way the things stand, I looked at it and I said, who's the best player on the board? Delvin Cook is the best player on the on the board because Leonard Fournette is is Trent Richardson. Uh, the second coming of Trent Richardson. He does nothing but run the ball between the tackles. He's just a big prodding back. He's the same guy that we've seen come and bust in the NFL over and over again. He's a nobody. Right. Plus he was Christian McCaffrey's a good. Right. 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 
and, and, and but I'm just saying, you know, and, and, you know, Christian McCaffrey is is an average um, is an average running back who I think will be successful in the NFL, but not great. Dalvin Cook can catch the ball, he can run the ball, and the argument about the other the other running backs that that Seattle has. I mean, if I, if I really got to entertain this guy and walk through them, um, Eddie Lacy is the typical veteran, low, low risk, high reward signing. Um, you know, people NFL contracts are not guaranteed. If he comes into shape and can't stop eating the China food because he doesn't know it's called Chinese food, um, right, and goes right. out tweeting about how he's eating Burger King every night, he'll be out of the league again or out of the job again. Because th- so I, I'm not banking on Eddie Lacy. Thomas Rolls is a good running back. That's I even feel uncomfortable saying that. He's an average running back. He's not. He's not a game changer. He's not a game breaker. He, he's, he's okay, but he's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna change your offense. Um, Procise has had flashes last year, um, but I mean, you know, he, he had an injury, and do do, we, do any of us know if he can sustain that? No. So. I'm sorry, but it's you know it's the unless you're the Atlanta Falcons or the New England Patriots, which are the only two teams to really have an embarrassment of riches at running back, in my opinion. It's like the quarterback thing, you know, the old quarterback saying: if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, and if you have six, you have none. If the Seahawks thought that their running back position was shored up, they wouldn't be signing everyone and their mother to come try out to play running back in this training camp. So if Dalvin Cook's sitting there at 24 and you don't take him, you're an idiot. And so I don't care what this Reddit re- reader said. I, it is it is a great pick, and it would be a steal, and he would change their offense. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles and run outside, and he has game-breaking speed, and he can he can he's the kind of guy you can hand the ball off at your own 15, and he's gone 85 yards to the house, or he can flip him a screen pass, and he's going to get out there, or, and he can run routes. So, uh, yep. you know, that, that's all i got to say on that. I'm taking Dalvin Cook in that position every single time, <laughs> given the circumstances that I just outlined, if they fall that way. Yeah, no, it, obviously you you got to at some point just take best available and see what you can do from that. And if he can if the if this draft pick can help your team get better, it doesn't matter if it's your biggest need or not. You add him to the team and see what you can do. Now, that's not to say that, you know, the Seahawks in the situation might not make a move and just trade away their first round pick because there's nobody that they want. I mean, that's entirely possible, but in the confines of our drop mock draft, obviously we couldn't do that. So, assuming they have to make a pick, I, I, I really don't see an issue with taking Dalvin Cook there. I, I wonder, though, I wonder if they might start trying to re- rebuild their defense, because it really isn't the real, it's not the Legion of Boom anymore, and they could really use some help out there. So, going with somebody like, you know, a cornerback or a linebacker that's, 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 that's a spot might not be terrible, but then again, I, you know, it's really kind of, it's going to be kind of what, what kind of risk are they really to put up with? Because it's not really a, an absolute need uh, for them at that point. Yeah, and I think anyway. I think they're okay at linebacker, and I think they should address the the, the cornerback position. Um, you know, the, their their second and third guys aren't great, and Richard Sherman's getting older, and obviously there's some you know tension there, and he's probably paid more than they want because their their uh, their defensive philosophy is to build out from the safety and. They think that safety is way more important than corner, unlike most teams, and they're set at safety right now. So, I mean, corner is definitely the biggest need, except for the fact that they only like big physical corners, and the only big physical corners left on the board aren't going until the second or third round. So you can reach and take for a need, or you can just take the best player on the board. They're set. I think they're fine at receiver. They have a good tight end. 
they need offensive line help and they need corner help. And all the guys that were still left on the board were still going to be left there, whatever, pick 40, uh, 49 or 50, whatever pick it is they tend to have in the second round. So you can right, take Dalvin right. Cook, and if you have to cut the rest of those bums, you do it, and you, and you build around him on the offensive side. Right. So we'll see what happens in the in the real draft, but uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting if they decide to go running back there because I think Eddie Lacy feels like he has a uh, stranglehold on the starting position there, and it could be a little bit of a rude awakening, and he might have to go ahead and get back in shape. Although, I, I, from what I understand, his uh, deal is actually weight-dependent as well, so not, not simply incentivized from his production, but incentivized from the weight that he weighs in on. Uh, when he gets to camp and when he starts the season. So we'll see what happens there. All right, let me turn uh, to the first pick of the draft. So that was my pick for the Cleveland Browns. And the reports are coming out of Cleveland Browns camp that they still haven't decided who they want to take with the number one overall pick, whether they want to take Miles Garrett, by far the best player in the draft, most athletic player in the draft, or if they want to go and address their need at quarterback. Because as we know, the Browns love drafting quarterbacks. I mean, they've drafted so many of them in the last six to seven years. So what do you think about that, Ryan? I mean, right now, the top of their draft board uh, for quarterbacks, according to the beat reporters, is Mitchell Trubisky. For, but, you know, hey, let's just say any quarterback. Would you take, as the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett at number one overall, or would you take one of the quarterbacks? I, I, you got you to take Miles Garrett um, because the quarterback class this year sucks. And I think Trubisky, um, Kaiser, and Watson are all in the same same kind of bubble. And I think I think one of those guys will still be sitting there at 11. And whatever one works out, I think is an absolute crapshoot. So Miles Garrett definitely won't be there at 11, though. So you got or uh, not, sorry, not 11. Whatever their, their later 12. pick is. Oh, yeah, yeah 12. Um, so you take Miles Garrett, and one of those three is going to fall to you, and you take them, and you just hope it's the right one. Um, you know, this thing, this competition between those three, it, depending on what week you read, is what one is, is the more NFL-ready or more, you know, going to be the more successful guy in the NFL, which means that nobody knows because these three aren't very good, and quarterbacks get more hype than anybody else, so we got to talk about the quarterbacks. But right. it's, a, it's a horrible quarterback class. Um, if I'm the Browns, I take Miles Garrett. You pair him up with, you know, Jamie Collins now and Joe Hayden and – you just you try to build something on that defensive side, and hopefully, hopefully you're bad enough next year again with whatever kids at quarterback that you can get back into a, you know, what should hopefully be a better uh, quarterback class next year. Right, and I and I have to say that most of the people who say don't take Miles Garrett uh, address the point that the Browns actually have a problem on run defense more so than they have uh, as a as a need for pass rushers, and Miles Garrett predominantly is a pass rusher. Not particularly solid uh, as, a, as a run defender. But, you know, honestly, it's kind of like, well, come on, guys. He's the most athletic guy on the board. At number one overall, you're really going to waste that pick on a quarterback when you know there will be another one. I agree with you. I think that most of the quarterbacks are in the same boat. They're not significantly different from each other. But they seem to really want Mitchell Trubisky. And what really was different about our draft was the Jets in our draft, did not take Mitchell Trubisky, which allowed him to drop to 12, which I think would be the Browns' dream draft to get Garrett and Trubisky without making any moves. But honestly, if they take Garrett and Watson, I think they'll be in the same boat. So uh, I agree with that. I think that's, that's, the way, that's the way it should be, and I think that he's definitely the best available. And, and I think also there really isn't a clear number two in the draft. I mean, what do you think about that? It's to you, is there a clear number two guy in the draft after Miles Garrett? 
No, there's absolutely not. Um, like I said, it's a really deep draft, so in that in that sense, there's a lot of good picks you can make at second and third. Um, but to touch on the things you said about the Browns quickly, um, absolutely. I mean, again, these people like you you got to think about it. You look at our one round mock draft, and people, you know, think, oh, you shouldn't take Miles Garrett. Like you can get middle linebackers and defensive tackles in the second and third round because it's a passing league. The defensive end, the elite defensive end, won't be there. And it's like it's like baseball. You can never have too much pitch, uh, pitching. And in football, you can never have too much pass rush. So he's hands right. down the number one guy, and everybody else is in a group behind him. So you take him every single time, and you figure out the rest as you go. Right. The only other option in my book is that the Browns trade down. And if they want to trade down to, like, four or five, and then take their quarterback there, which I still think is too early, but because they want to take him in front of the Jets and get some additional value, you know, more draft picks, another draft pick next year or what have you, so they don't want to take Garrett up front, fine. That's fine. Because that number one draft pick has a ton of value because everybody wants Miles Garrett. He can, he can help any team that he gets onto. And he even told the Browns in a report, in an interview, that if they don't take him in the first as the number one overall pick, then he will terrorize them for 10 to 12 years and knock the crap out of whoever they pick at quarterback for 10 to 12 years. So they better be, they better go ahead and take him. Cause you know what? I don't want, I wouldn't want miles Garrett uh, with, a, with a big dartboard with my face on it. And that's what the Browns are going to be if they don't take him first overall. All right. So let me ask you about one more of your picks, uh, Ryan, before we move on to our retrospective. And that's the Carolina Panthers and Kevin King. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to take Kevin King uh, for the Carolina Panthers at eighth overall. Yeah, um, you give me a six foot three uh, cornerback, and uh, you know I get I get a little excited. So um, I love his size, I love his physicality, I love that he can play man. I know that he doesn't have the best footwork, and he can get you know kind of get tangled up on speedy or shifty guys. But I know he, if he's your number one corner, and considering the you know the bag of crap that that secondary is since uh, Josh Norman's gone. Um, you know, I don't, you're not going to be putting him on the shifty guys. You're going to be putting him on the big outside guys. Um, he's the kind right. of guy that, you know, will shove you out of bounds. He's constantly playing the sideline, trying to get you out. He reads routes, jumps routes. Um, and that's the biggest, that was the biggest issue with that Carolina defense last year. It really, I mean, it really was one person. He took out that domino, which was Josh Norman, and the rest of it fell behind him. Um, so I think if you put him in there and he is as advertised, which I believe he is, um, you know, then you have, you have, you have a good defense there. And, uh, in uh, Carolina again, so I think I think that's the perfect situation for them. Right, I totally agree with that. By the way, I think that they have been a, a steaming pile of crap since Josh Norman. It was actually amazing to me how much they they basically disappeared last year as a defensive entity without Josh Norman. It was it was just shocking to me how much their how much regression they saw. Uh, so it's clear they need to have a true number one corner out there. And uh, I agree that King can be that true number one corner. So that, that would be a smart move on that part. But we'll see what happens when we get to draft day. All right, let's ring the bell on this segment. And let's go ahead and move on because we want to talk about, as per usual, a little bit of history. And this week we're going to be talking about Super Bowl 46 between the New York Giants and the New England Patriots. As you know, we've covered all the Super Bowls now in which the Patriots have been a part of. And uh, at least in recent history, we haven't ch- we haven't covered my favorite one yet, Super Bowl 20 <laughs> against my Bears. But we'll get to that at some point. 46 against the Giants, February 5th, 2012. Another one of those miraculous Giants comebacks at the end. Giants end up winning 21 to 17. 
Uh, what was interesting to me about this, and I'm going to go through all the details because this is a very recent recent uh, uh, Super Bowl, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember this. But if you go back and look at the win probability from what happened during that last couple sequences in the fourth quarter, it is astonishing. So at the point in the fourth quarter with six minutes left, when Tom Brady completes a pass to Rob Gronkowski on second and nine, so this third, so, and, and it becomes third and three uh, on the New York Giants 47. At that point, the, the Patriots had an 82.3% chance of winning. And then it slipped uh, down to 53% as soon as uh, Eli got the ball back, and down to 39% as soon as Mario Manningham made that 38 yard catch. Uh, with 3.46 left, and went to 0% after Ahmad Bradshaw scored a touchdown, popped back up after the two-point conversion was done, and then, get this, as soon as Brady got the ball, it went up to 46.9%. So with 57 seconds left, Tom Brady with the ball actually made it almost 50-50, being down by one score. That is amazing to me. That is absolutely stunning to me. So there's a lot of stuff that happened during this game. I just had to bring that up because I, I looked at the the odds projections and the and the uh, the odds of winning at each element, each part of the game. Not very interesting until you get to that last sequence. But one man made this a 50-50 game with 57 seconds left. Amazing. Okay. So let's. With that said, tell me what was it that you recall or what are the takeaways you have from Super Bowl 14? So this game um, is a tough game. Um, this is also pretty much towards the end of like my uh, my real homerism days, um, where I could you know really truly talk myself into believing anything, and um, you know I was able to convince myself that uh, James Ahedabo playing safety and uh, Sterling Moore being a starting corner and uh, Philip Adams on the outside playing corner that that that, that defense was good enough. Um, so I was I was pretty heartbroken, even though they were a pretty bad team that year. Um, you know, it was uh, it was definitely uh, one of those you know miraculous runs. And if uh, Billy Cundiff doesn't absolutely shank a 30-yard field goal at the end of the AFC Championship, the Patriots aren't even in it. Um, but oh, right. as far as the game, this team almost uh, caused me and my dad to stop talking to each other um, forever. My dad is the biggest Wes Welker fan. Um, in the world, and I'm sorry, uh, this game falls squarely on his shoulders. You you do not drop that football. That drop right. is one of the most frustrating plays in, in the history of my life. That is my Billy Buckner through the legs. Um, I've never <laughs> forgiven him for it. I, I have a Wes Walker jersey that I never wore again. I was not sad when he was cut two years later because he also had a drop in the AFC Championship against the Ravens the year after that. Wes Walker forever, to me, will be the guy that could practice the stats and rack up the stats and rack up the stats with the same time that I think that he really needed to have it. He didn't. And in both Super Bowls for the Patriots, he didn't score a touchdown. So, you know, it's a great debate between the, you know, the, the small white slot receivers uh, over the last 10 years in New England. But I'll take Julian Edelman 10 times out of 10 over Wes Welker. And um, so, you know, the, the, the Patriots should have won that game. He catches that ball. They run out that clock. They probably score again there, and the game's over. Um, the other big, the obviously big moment you remember is the, uh, and it got brought up in the Super Bowl uh, 49 against the Seahawks that the Patriots are going to do it there too, where, um, you know, they, they let uh, Ahmad Bradshaw fall backwards into the end zone because he realized at the last yep. second that the Patriots weren't trying to tackle him, and they just wanted him to score to get the ball back. Uh, that was the funniest touchdown yeah, that I've ever seen. 
Right, and that defense wasn't as good as the 14 defense, but you make you wonder now looking back on it that, you know, sometimes if you just play it out and make the other team have to get in, uh, you know, you can you can win on that. But, uh, you know, that obviously the big storyline, Rob Gronkowski is the high ankle sprain. He's just not himself at all. The Patriots throw the Hail Mary at the end, and um, a healthy Gronk, I think, gets that ball, but a hobbled Gronk doesn't, and... Early in that game, the Giants realized that he was just a decoy, so they stopped guard- they stopped guarding him. They were they were rolling single coverage linebackers on him, and that linebacker right. before that year, uh, Chase Blackburn, and uh, you know, the rest, the rest of the like forgettable guys were awful, but they were able to shut down Rob Gronkowski because he just wasn't himself. Um, and then the interesting footnote I was like to point out about that Super Bowl is uh, Aaron Hernandez caught a touchdown. So uh, you know there was a, a really <laughs> small guy out there catching touchdown passes for the Patriots in that game. So uh, you know probably the fans in, in, in Indianapolis were glad, glad, uh, glad he didn't drop any balls or grab, uh, drop a touchdown ball because that might have been a bad night in the streets after. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very it's very interesting to me exactly how this entire game kind of uh, unwound. I mean, I can tell you that like typical, uh, you know, it was actually not yet interesting until you got to the fourth quarter. And I don't mean that because the Giants had that comeback. I mean that because uh, you know it, it looked like that the Patriots were just taking care of business, and it was just business as usual. And uh, and it wasn't until the the last couple uh, moves there. And it's interesting when you look at the probability charts, it just kind of steadily goes towards the Patriots until that point where it just kind of zips up and down <laughs> like crazy, like a Geiger counter. So very, very interesting, a very interesting Super Bowl. And, of course, the, you, Ryan, and Giselle both blame Wes Welker for not being able to catch that ball because clearly Brady can't throw and catch the ball uh, all at the same time, right? So at any rate, we are down to the end of our podcast. So we'll be back again next week to talk about more stuff concerning the draft. Uh, Ryan, give us your uh, Instagram and Twitter so people can follow you. Yeah, so the Instagram is football underscore garbage underscore time. And Twitter, uh, for, for my Reddit fans out there, I'll be on all night if you want to come find me. It's at Ryan Whitfield, N-E. <laughs> and he will fire back, folks, so don't hesitate to fire away at his Twitter account. You can follow me at FB Garbage Time. And until next time, enjoy your NFL week. Hey, go Blackhawks. Oh, yeah, go Blackhawks. And Bulls. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Against your Celtics. <laughs>